Welcome to Out of Your League. Uh, another special guest with us here is Adrian Antonio Gardner, um, Brazilian. Hello. How are we? Hello, Cumbrian. Antonio. <laughs> Long time since anyone's called me that. Real, well, let's let's get let's get into that, Gardy. Obviously, part Brazilian, brought up in Cumbria. What what what's, well I know, but what is the story behind your Brazilian heritage? So, uh, mum came over here in the mid-70s, like 76, I think. Um, so, she was an au pair for a, uh, a family. And the guy who she was au pairing for, a family, he was basically in the Brazilian Navy. And at the time, they were doing a bit of business with the shipyard in Barra. Um, so, they all kind of moved up to there. And I think there was quite a fair few Brazilian Brazilians in the, um, in the area at that time. And then uh, went out on a night out. Dad met a little Brazilian lady. <laughs> and then never looked back. She's been here for just over 40 years. Best bit of business he ever did. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's, still connected, he's still connected to that Brazilian heritage guard at all. No, my, my mum does. Mum keeps in contact. But like I've, apart from Facebook, where I get sort of random friend requests of Brazilian people uh, who I don't really know who they are. And the only mutual contact is my mum. Or my older brother. That's it, really. Because I, I don't speak Brazilian at all. Um, so I've got no means of communication. And God, we only, last time, like when the only time I've been over there was 97. Um, so God, what's that, 23, 24 years ago now? So like, I've, I haven't got any, like, even if I went there, I wouldn't know when to start. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously the language barrier and whatnot. But, um, but my mum still keeps in contact with all the sisters because, like, my mum's one of 12. So she's got wow. five sisters and six brothers. What about cooking guards? So, like Brazilian, what what parts of Brazilian life did you experience as a young guy? Was was there any elements your mum like retained? Oh, like so, just all, all of that because my mum's like an unbelievable cook anyway. So she's just firing out all these like all sorts of stuff that she puts her own little spin on. That's all like sort of Brazilian food, uh, and then like. Just all, like even like stuff with like the fruit that she'd buy, all of that, like mangoes, pineapple, you know, there was all that type of stuff when I was a kid. But like the thing that you learned when you went to Brazil was that every they just got like a proper sugar addiction. So everything sweets. If I go to my mum's house now, it's like I come out with a hangover because I've had like a proper sugar hangover because everything's laced with sugar. Like unbelievable. But like it's just, you you, you watch a cock and there's no measuring. It's literally just tipping the bag of sugar in there and just thinking, yeah, that'll do type thing. Um, but like she's she's well, proper well known in the town, like for how good of a cook she was. So. I was just thinking, was I right in thinking that a few years ago, before the uh, Olympics in Rio, it was the first time they'd put um, rugby sevens in there? Was there some chat about you thinking of stepping over to the other side and, and maybe testing your arm and see if you get in the Brazilian side? Yeah, sort of. Because obviously it was coming into the Olympics for the first time, so I thought, well, I can have a crack at that. And obviously I was eligible because it was my mum. So it wasn't like, you know, like sort of my, my second uncle who'd been to Brazil once trying to blag it that way. So it was actually a good sort what of... Lineage. What are you saying, guards? Is, is, that, saying? is that what some people are doing? That never happens, does it? No. <laughs> without, without naming nations, are you saying something like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought, yeah, I'll have a crack at this. And then, so I started talking to the coach a little bit 
and it was like a Kiwi fellow who was doing a lot of development stuff over there um, at the time, and he was sort of part of the management team. Um, and then I retired. That was 14, that, and then I retired. And then I just was like, oh, I can't do this. Like, and my body was broken, and all that. I was like... And then I just started working at Saints at the time, so I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to carry this off in the meantime. So it's all by the wayside. But our Matthew did. Our Matthew played for the sevens team, like oh, did uh, a couple of sevens. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He's got his full. He had to go and get his full on Brazil passport and everything. Um, right, because they, yeah. they made that a stipulation. You had to have a Brazilian passport. And then he went and played in. Like, do you know they have the sevens to, like tour comps all over the way, like in yeah. Las Vegas and places. And he played in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, well, you remember his Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. That sounds sounds like a really bad gig, that doesn't it? Yeah, Terrible it does. gig. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Go back to Barrow Guards. Sorry, let's go back to Barrow. So you've got a Brazilian, sort of half Brazilian family. You grew up on Warnley, which is a, a small island, um, you know, just off Barrow, isn't it? And and, and yeah. Barrow, the town, for people who don't know, is um, British aerospace, you know, big, big shipping yard that, 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 um, sort of employs everybody in the area. Take us back, obviously, talk us through your family and talk us through your life, you know, that that, that early part of your childhood before you really got involved in rugby. Uh, so, so, like, all my, so, like, growing up in Barrett's just rugby league, and I only ever had it down as rugby league uh, because me, me dad was, he played rugby league when he was younger. My uncle's, like, one of the biggest rugby league fans going. He just knew everything. So he used to go following all the Aussie teams when they come over on tours and stuff. Um, so it was always a proper rugby league town Walney in particular Walney Central that was a big rugby league amateur club in the town uh, and again when I, it's one of those towns where there's like you go in town and there's loads of scrapping and stuff like that anyway and it's kind of known for, like most northern towns but I always sort of remember all of those those amateur clubs having a proper big rivalry and my older brother played for Ruse um, which is Ruse Pioneers now because they merged with Holker Pioneers about 20 years ago but um, so I'd, I, I, it was always rugby league. And then my older brother was alluded to, he was he was the man when we was kids. So there's about a six year age gap between me and him. So he's the same age as Paul Scholthorpe. Um, and he was like, he was like a man at 13. So I just had full on. So imagine me, but at 13, just with a beard and massive thighs. And like, could just run through everybody. And he's, he was like, he was kind of known as like, who's this kid? And he just used to run over everybody. Um, so like my younger childhood is kind of just remembering me dad and my uncle sort of ferrying him down to like Northwest counties. And he actually played for Waterhead Flash uh, for a spell. Uh, oh, did he? Great, great club. Um, yeah. yeah. And he played for uh, Rosebridge um, at the time. So obviously the the standard was a lot better down, down in the, the Lancashire area, so they were driving him down there to play, and then he signed for Warrington when he was thirteen or fourteen, and then moved down there when he left school. Um, didn't quite make it, didn't quite kick on for one reason or another. Um, so he ended up back in Barrow. But like for me, really, like I, I never, I, I, I was used to like enjoy rugby and watching rugby. Well, I was never really that bothered about going out and playing it. It probably wasn't only till I got to about fourteen or fifteen that I started having a crack, and and it for me it just snowballed really quickly. Was it good having a role model, Gadsy? Like you, you speak about your brother then, and and you know you say he was 
sort of tipped for big success. Like he, I think when you speak to people about Paul, he, he was probably him and Paul Schoolthorpe were the two of that era, weren't they? That were tipped to be sort of next sort of level Great Britain sort of players. Was was it useful having like a role model like that who'd sort of trodden a path down to the northwest to play? The reason I ask that is because me and Flash probably didn't have that sort of you know role model so close to us. We spoke to the Burgess brothers and other people like that, and I'm interested in how much having somebody near you who you're competitive with doing well influenced you. Yeah, definitely. Because there's there's a bit of an age gap, but not a massive one. I just remember always being. Uh, it was it was good because it was far enough away, so it wasn't like one or two years that I was like under the pump to sort of emulate. But like, so obviously we went to the same school, so you go to the same school, and then your brother's pictures like up in the in the um, in the walkways you're coming through into the school, and he's and his England schoolboy shirts in a frame there, and 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 I think they I think his year won like the Lancashire Cup, which was kind of unheard of for a team from Barra. Um, so it was that was that was a big thing, and it was it was like oh. He probably give you that little bit of what's oh, doable. This it's not like you can't not kick on and play professional. It's because somebody your brother he has actually been on there and done it. And then and then in another way, it's kind of he's kind of made some mistakes as young people do as they go and move away because you're kind of down there by yourself living in digs and you kind of getting advice that so you're learning a little bit on the fly from your brother's mistakes of you know and then you kind of you, your parents and your people are there they've kind of realized some mistakes he's been kind of guide you a little bit more through the path because again for, you know because that, that's what young people are doing it you move away and you make errors so what did that look like Gadzi? you know you say made mistakes i mean what what did you learn from your brother being hotly tipped to to make the grade and then and then just sort of coming up short. What what was the biggest things you took away? It's e- well, it's easy now actually to like reflect on it and make sense of it, isn't it? Because we're much older, and we've probably made sense of it in the last few years about how you feel. Yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. What what was your take? What was your takeaways from that? I I, I just had it because, and I, I find this really hard now because we take lads down from you know like a. Warrington, so we've got lads from Academy, so we'll bring them down from Cumbria and we'll bring lads from Yorkshire and they have to move away and they have to live in digs and it's like, it's a really, really tough transition that, really tough and it's, you've got to, it's it's a bit of a minefield as it like as a young kid, you've got to put them in the right environment with the right people. So when I kind of come through, I was quite single-minded, so I kind of wanted to do it all by myself a little bit and like, oh, so what to do? sort of have a bit of a, obviously you need a network of people helping you, you don't get anywhere. I was quite, I was very single-minded and driven just to do what I needed to do. So I would just go out, so I used to go to the gym all the time by myself and just kind of figure it out. And just, I wanted to very much just try and, because I really enjoyed doing it, I had a really strong mindset and goal of what I wanted to do. I was kind of really doing just, I just want to do it all by myself. And again, you don't get there because you need help from people to throw you around here, there and everywhere. But, I was really just keen on just do, just figuring it out for myself and then finding my own way and making my own mistakes and not having been told by anybody, if you know what I mean. Do you think it's it was a different transition from lads like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, than it is now? You having witnessed it from a, a coach's point of view and then having gone through it yourself and seeing your brother gone through it? Definitely. I think just just as I was starting Cumber, so I, oh God, I remember day, we were about 2000, 2001 when I was at Barra. 
there was still that properly like bit of a drink culture still knocking about. There was, you know, it was kind of yeah, everybody loved to drink uh, at the time. And young lads who are left to their own devices will go and do what? They'll go and explore, go and having a drink and stuff like that. So um, you end up making somebody else's mistakes because if you're a little bit, you don't want to be the one person that's out there, you just follow other people who are having a drink and doing the wrong thing and thinking, oh, that'll be all right. And then what you find out starkly in the end, it's not. Now, the other, the flip side of that is now how nowadays now that you keep a lot closer tabs on kids than than you would do usually back in the day because again there's a lot more regimented than how it used to be back then and there's a lot more you know from particularly from my side from a physical point of view you after you keep closer you know on the body fats the body weight what the you know how they're performing in games there's no stone left unturned from that point of view flash i'm interested in that you know the, the pressure on young athletes with a big reputation that you know we, we, we see it quite often, don't we, that people come through, and not sorry to just labour the point about your brother guards, but I think it's an interesting part of junior development. It, there's a lot of pressure on young people at quite a young age. You know, we build people up quite a lot, don't we? Yeah, we do. And I think some of the guards, what some of the guards he said there was his brother was a bit of a star as a young kid. Now I can do two things as a younger brother. He can make it aspirational for you so you can see that there is, like you said, there is something to strive towards and it is achievable to be signed by clubs but I think it probably motivates a younger player because they have to work harder to get there than that older brother who's probably been gifted with a lot of talent and a lot of those those natural you know um, size and speed or whatever I think it makes that younger player work harder and what do you think Ads? Yeah it did for me because I wasn't I was always fast I knew that but like anything else with regards to rugby I didn't have anything to do I was like the, the dumb kid who couldn't catch but was fast that's what I was when I was a kid so like that made me push me a lot more to have to work hard to kind of figure out the other bits of the, that takes you to that next level and gets you to the level after that our Paul like again not for just being a great athlete was like very very good at, you know could kick goals could kick in general player could you know add catch and pass and stuff like that but he was very genuinely gifted in, in, in every sort of facet of it um, but even when he sort of coming towards the back end, I wanted to watch him play for Ruse. And I think he'd had a couple of beers the night before. And he comes steaming onto this ball off a tap with this big angry head on. Managed to chip the ball over the defensive line, catch it on the ball and go under the sticks about sort of point. How have you done that? What, how, how, how has it even popped in your head that that was even on? But he, he did it. Like, he's one of the best tries I've ever seen. And that's what like, oh, just do it. He's just kind of got that in him. Brilliant. So then your career guards, obviously, you know, you had, you had role models around your age, your brother is a role model, rugby was in your blood, like you grew up on, on Walmart Island, you know, Barrow Rugby League is the sport there. Um, but talk us through that, you, maybe your first like foray into professional rugby or semi-professional rugby at Barrow and then how did you end up getting down to St. Helens, which was obviously, I think you'd agree, the biggest and most successful part of your professional career? So I went... So when I was fifteen, so I'd, so it all happened dead quickly. So we're in about sort of year like in the year ten, start of year eleven. Um, I started playing. I was playing for Barrow Island and I was playing for Barrow Schools. And then you got picked for Cumbria, and we had one game at Cumbria against it was like the North East or something, and we played at Fev, and I scored like two or three tries. Then, then I got a phone call and got picked for Northwest Counties, which was. Uh, but all the obviously the Lancashire teams, and in that team there was uh, Sean Briscoe, Sean O'Loughlin, 
all like sort of players around uh, in that type of era. Um, and then never, and then that was to get picked to go on England schoolboys, but I didn't get picked to go on that. So I kind of went back to Barrow. Nobody had come from a Super League club, so Barrow come and said, "Oh, we'll come we want to sign you." So at the time, it was like a five-year deal, uh, and it was like I got five hundred quid. Five-year deal, fucking hell, Gaddy. I got five. Yeah, I got five hundred first year, five hundred second year. Honestly, that was the best summer I ever had. I had five hundred. Honestly, it lasted a year. Oh, brilliant! Um, so I used to get back. So I started playing, and then uh, used to go away with the A team, and um, I'm sure I was only fifteen. So I went down. and We played Oldham away or something, and he said, "Right," because uh, you used to turn up for the bus. And you didn't know he was going to turn up. So you didn't know if he had 11, you didn't know if he had 40, you didn't know who had to. You'd start pulling amateur lads in just to say, I couldn't, you couldn't do his a job for tomorrow. So I rocked up on the bus. He goes, all right, listen, you've got to sit on the bench today. Don't worry, you won't get on. But it'd be, you'd be like, you're on the bench. Right? Okay. Sure enough, about 25 minutes, they stick me on in the centre. <laughs> and this lad from uh, Oldham just ran straight through. It was it, uh, was it the, uh, where do Oldham play now? Can't think. White, the White Bank, Bank was there. I'm sure it was yeah. there. Yeah, I'm sure it yeah. was there. Um, so, so that was my first little foray into it. And then it's just play for because all those amateur clubs back then used to have an A team still. So I used to play for Barrow A team. Now, at the time, if you play for Barrow A team and then you played well, you'd either be 18th man or you might even go on the bench for the first team of the day after. So that was quite a big thing. So that was a little bit. So I was like, I was in college then at the time. Uh, and just starting to do a little bit and start to improve what was going through the year. Um, and then I went back. So that was my first year at college. And then the second year, because I had to receive my GCSE because I did nothing but watch The Simpsons and mess about in year 11. So, That's a productive year, though. It was, yeah. And then, so I went to about to do my year levels and it was just when we started getting picked for England Academy then. And um, I managed to come into that and it was only me and John who was from there was the Northern Ford Premiership Club at clubs at the time so it was me and me I was at Barron he was at Rovers and um, so he said oh so I started getting making a bit of a dint in that and then so I just thought right so if I'm going to do this I'm going to do it properly and then short-sightedly now because I know you could do both easily but I just quit college and just decided to train full-time so I had a year between like sort of 17 and 18 where I just I, I just went to the gym. I used to go down the. Uh, I used to go down training at the club and do training on the field there, and just do you do all sorts. And um, so that year of, I was playing first team for Barra. Then uh, I think I made my debut against. Were you playing that game, Wilco? I don't think you were. Were you? No, 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 I didn't. Didn't get picked. So, so it was my debut at uh, Rovers. Well, just just as a turn seventeen. And then the year after was I was starting on the wing every week. Um, so and then dead we dead strange. I got a phone call off the blue off Stu Wilkinson, um, who was the first team assistant at the time, and he's gone on to coach guys coached everybody, I think. Uh, and he said, "Oh, listen, I've got a phone call. Bit of interest off in uh, of Saints. Uh, Ian Millwood's going to give you a call at some stage." And then before you knew it, I was going down there for a bit of a visit and a trial. And then a couple of other clubs started coming in. Um, but then as soon as I went down the we knew only what to sign there so that was it really so like within the space about two and a half years of just sort of messing about I was I was signing for Saints It's a different route that isn't it Flash to you know we talk about scholarships now and junior development but 
the reality is there's like loads of routes to get to the top, isn't there? And do you think Super League's now taking that championship clubs and, and nurturing players at that level more seriously now than it has before? Yeah, I think Saints have probably done it better than most of recent recently. You think of Alex Wormsley, James Bentley, um, a few other players like that. But I noticed that Ian Miller would also pick you up, didn't he, John? So I think there was a period he probably saw, saw a bit of uh, potential in the lower leagues. And thought if we can get these lads late teens, early twenties, and then we can really, if they've got some potential, really mould them into to, into really good players. But I think it, I think coming through the, the championship route t- teaches you a few things. I think you get used to playing men's rugby at a younger age, which I think is massive because for a long time lads will only play against their own age groups, and then as soon as they're thrust into the first team environment, they can't they can't handle that that uh, that um, change in in size of players and. Uh, and the athleticism that, that, that increases massively. And I think, secondly, it gives lads a bit more, um, it teaches them a bit more grit and a bit more resilience because they haven't got it all the wrong way. They've got to work that little bit little bit harder to get to where they want to be. And you guys are probably perfect examples of, of, of coming that way. Yeah, I, I think that there's a something huge in exposing young athletes to playing out of their competent, competency levels. Like when me and Eddie were young, you're playing against men and, and I think the scholarship system has its merits and the academy system has its merits for sure but you can't replace taking somebody who's good at their own age putting them into a situation where they're not the best and then seeing how they react and that's a that's a tough league back then Gardzi that was a tough league wasn't it it's still tough now but tough back then oh it was, it, it was proper ruthless it was, it was still proper old school like like for me being like the fast winger I like God, they still used to do like winger in and stuff like that off taps to tell like for winger taking the first carry. So I must have been about 80 kilos wet through. And like they, they just used to, it was proper ruthless. They just like, I remember playing at Keithley and they had a, is it, is it Graham Alice or Cameron's name? And he was proper horrible. And he, he must have been like 33 <laughs> at the time, but like proper mean to me. I was like, but like, <laughs> they like, used to do these ones like, when he used to see carrying the ball. Yeah. 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 They say you're not good enough, Gardner. You're not good enough. Like, Jesus, but all right. I literally, it was 17 at the time. Um, but it was it, it was good. Like you don't, I don't even like now. If I think back, to like some of the kids now are coming through academy, of course, and that who were 17, and I think you would struggle going in those leagues. But having said that, you have to figure a way out to get through it because again, you're playing against blokes, so you only ever. It's like playing a year up at school, isn't it? But, you know, you're just going to have to it's sink or swim time. So you got down to St. Helens, um, guards. You got that call off in Millward. You, you signed at, at St. Helens. Um, and that, look, that without going into huge detail, that part of your career, that, that, that first two or three years at St. Helens was hugely important for you to go on and be successful for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely so. So then I started going through it and Bover had to go through. So he's kind of out, so I'm having to, but like with more pressure. So he goes away as an academy lad with a lot of other academy lads who are going through the same stage of their lives and stuff. Whereas I kind of going down and I'm sort of thrown into an house by myself where I don't need to do it, don't know how to do anything. And then um, you, not only that, but then you're expected to go down for the best team in the country with absolute superstars and legends all over the spot. So it was that was really tough, and like there was just times there where I just wanted to come home, didn't want to be there. Realised how tough it was, particularly that first four or five months. 
Um, and then, but slowly but surely, the more I got to know people, and I got a bit of a comfort level with people. And the lads and, and like your Chris joints and people there they just looked after you. They did look after you and they, they kept encouraging you and they give you a pull every time they needed you. But then slowly but surely, you kind of started to find your feet a little bit more then. Um, so that, that that first couple of months down there was really tough. Uh, and you do second guess yourself because there's a lot of lads who've come from Cumbrian towns, gone down to clubs and not made it. Um, so you do think, am I just going to be another one of these statistics here? Uh, but thankfully, the environment that I had was exposed to down there with those players who were just championship players and champion blokes as well. They nurtured us through those first couple of years and helped me get a foot in. Yeah, well, I went down, um, I was sort of on trial and I went over and because uh, I knew Eddie from, um, from the sort of Great Britain Academy tour. So he said, get to mine, you know, we'll go down to training. So I drove over from Hull at like half five in the morning, got to Guardsies at like half eight. Training sort of started at nine and it was 10 to nine and Guardsies lay on his couch in his in his Queensland state of origin shorts and a vest. And, and I'm like sort of looking at him like, uh, right, so training starts at nine and the Guardsies like, nah, nah, the bill, the bill's on. So Eddie like is obsessed with the bill reruns. <laughs> so he made he made us watch the end of the bill before then we ran down to train. <laughs> so you, you know you get you get the first one, you get the first one, then you segue into the second one. But you you sort of miss the last ten minutes because you've got to get on the walk then to get to training. Again. I'm interested. I'm interested to know what your first impressions of each other were back back what near twenty years ago. What was Wilkin like, Gardy, at that stage? Uh, do you know what? Yeah, he was a bit of a geek. Bit. He could drive and I couldn't drive at the time, so that was a massive bonus. So he had the... <laughs> so he pretended to be his friend. Oh, yeah. Just laughing at all he this green Corsa. He had this green Corsa with no power steering that he had to sort of, oh like, sort of get around like a tank. And he had uh, a tank. He used to have a mini disc player in his car. <laughs> Like, proper flash that and it like look, he's got his mini display in there and he's recording so henceforth so I bought a mini display then as well thought yeah yeah that's cool that and it yeah no I bet I never used it it was about 200 quid as no. well like just completely <laughs> like uh, I just put two, two cables into the back used. of my telly plug two cables into the back of my telly and record MTV bass and then yeah. just play it back yeah, yeah. in the car <laughs> yeah <laughs> then with the days yeah, so he was yeah, but it was good. It was good having somebody there that you knew. It was the same yeah. age as you, and we 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 had really similar interests as well, which was the best thing. So I like same music and films and stuff like that. So it was it were good times actually. Thinking back, yeah, it's tough flash, isn't it? When you're a young guy going into a dressing room, like Eddie speaks about dressing room at Saints. So we had sort of Paul Schoolthorpe, Sean Long, Paul Wellens, Chris Joint, Paul Newlove. Like, you've walked into some daunting changing rooms yourself. Like, as a young guy, that that's that can be make or break, can't it, if you sink yeah. in that environment? Massively. You've just got to be quite strong-minded and strong-willed, I think, haven't you? Um, I remember when I went to Australia, I didn't know a single person when I signed for West Tigers. First day of pre-season, was 35 lads, and I, I didn't know, 34 of them I'd never met before in my life. And probably similar to guys, there's lots of strong personalities, but I think if you just get your head down, work hard, like you two guys would have done, you earn the respect and then you kind of, you're welcomed in. But I think 
at big clubs with big superstars, you have to earn your stripes with with hard work, really. And um, that's 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 the thing I've always found. I think probably keeping your head down a little bit and keeping out of trouble where, where you can as well. That's that's the thing that got me over uh, was training. And when I started training well, you got accepted by the group then. I yeah. always remember Peter Shields, who was like, oh, God, you're starting to train well, though, aren't you? And he gave us, and it was a good confidence yeah. for us because you start, people started to take notice. All oh, right, he's getting the crack. He's kind of one of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you kind of trusted a little bit more because, all right, you're not going to take the mickey now. You you know, he's, he's, he's training well. He gets it. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, he, Peter, Shields, Peter Shields tried to sell me his mattress. Second day I was there, he tried to sell me his mattress. Like, not even spoke to me. He was like, do you want, do you, do you want to buy a mattress? I was like, uh, no, yeah, no, I don't know. And he goes, yeah, he's seen a bit of shagging this mattress. <laughs> probably not going to, Peter, probably not going to buy it, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> he, he probably tried selling it to all the other lads and then saw you walk through and thought, this little dim will buy it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. But that was a, that was a really successful sort of Saint side. You know, we went into, um, and and you went on to have a, a you know a hugely successful career. Guard, guards, culminating probably in that two thousand and six, two thousand and seven World Club Challenge. Without without putting words in your mouth from that period, what was your career highlight what was your best moment it doesn't have to be obvious it could be anything what was from your Saints career what stood out uh, again same as you mate because we're lucky aren't we because we've all <clears throat> as it's flash they've all got like really good memories my my, the one that always sticks out to me is just that, that last league game against Cass in uh, at Nosley Road that's the one that really sticks out to me uh, obviously, we've had those sort of really successful times winning trophies and stuff, but for, but for for me, that just being part of that club during that era and being being able to play in that stadium, that was being a Saints player for me. That underlined everything. Just that last gap. It just just summed up the culture and and the history of the club. It was last gasp. You know, we had to come from behind. Uh, it was backs against the wall. There was lads playing who out of position. There's uh, young lads playing who've only played a couple of games and we've, man- we've managed to do it and then Kieran got that try that that for me is th- they're like my entire what I think being a Saints player or that team is about summed up in 18 well I've got, I think it was like four minutes you know we had to we scored a try with like four minutes left and we scored it um, and then we scored the winner within that time so it was that that for me that, that sticks out more than anything but obviously having the the the, the the World Club Challenge, that's the one. I, I think at the time, I don't know why. A bit weird. I, I'm not sure. I never really ranked it that high, but it's only probably since I retired. The amount of times you get pulled for scoring the winner trying the World Cup Challenge is like it's massive. So like it's probably only like all when I'm a little bit older on in years who realise how significant that is. Was that against Brisbane at Bolton? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that ground, yeah. Scully was on fire, weren't he? Yeah, yeah Scully oh, yeah. came. Scully, Scully hadn't played for like eight, ten weeks. He hadn't played for the full year before, and then he came on, scored a couple of tries, kicked a goal off the sideline or something. It was ridiculous. Flash, what yeah. about you then? Career highlights for you, mate? What 
you know, it, well, the reason I asked this about highlights of careers because we're all retired. You know, guards, you I mean you've been retired, uh, you know, longer than myself. I'm, you know, a couple of eighteen months in. You're very recently retired, Flash. Have you had time mm. to like reflect? Have you got a highlight? Um, I think winning. The, I only won the one trophy. That was a grand final in, in fourteen, um, which was obviously special. But that's probably um, the expected answer. But it's the little things that. Um, were my highlights after we won the grand final it wasn't walking around with the trophy or being on the pitch it was probably seeing my family afterwards and seeing how proud they were and seeing how much joy I'd given them that was that was massive and then I think lots of lot of victories along the way were, were brilliant I remember we beat um, Catalan at, at Salford in 2019 away and we beat them by about 40 and I remember saying after the game I said boys you'll never beat this side by that much ever again so I enjoy it and I think it was the win and then enjoying the night out with the lads afterwards and all the whole package the all the next day on the coach it's it's some of the little things as well that I, I appreciate most playing and then it's just like going into training every day and seeing someone with a bad haircut it's it's the little it's the small things that and just knowing that he's going to have an, an absolutely horrendous day in the office and getting stick from everybody that's <laughs> stuff like that is 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 things I'll remember fondly what about low points guards? Um, because inevitably in sport, like time, everything comes to an end, doesn't it? And and you know, all careers come to an end, all good runs come to an end. And the, the, you know, if we talk about high points, then can you sort of vividly run us through the toughest moment of your career, or what if you know what that moment was? Um, <clears throat> probably. Probably getting hurt for the first time. So I've ruptured my Achilles and then being proper gutted. That was the worst because I had six months left on my deal. Um, there'd been sort of a bit of talk about me leaving at the time and I'd not had a new deal sorted out. And it was kind of that bit of a realisation, oh God, this is probably it now. So you knew me Achilles, like it was completely ruptured. Um, and then thankfully for me, I'd done enough during that time that the club re-signed me. Which was good. Then the year what after, year was that, on Easter, sorry, that was that was 11, 11. Uh, and Then in yeah. twelve, um, was it your first year? Twelve flash. Yes, my first year was twelve. I think it was that year. Twelve. I did be knee. I was playing. Re- I was pro- probably playing the best rugby of my career. I was proper, really enjoying myself. Uh, and then on Easter Monday, I did be PCL, MCL, just ripped me knee to bits. And it probably wasn't then, but it was the months after that kind of... And again, you've had these injuries flash where you kind of realise that you're not going to be the same again here. It's not going to be get, It's not going to get much better. This No matter what I do, it's going to tear. And it's a bit frustrating. You know it's kind of coming to an end. As a winger, you rely so much on your speed and your agility. An injury like you, a bad knee injury or your Achilles can really affect... I was, on, I was only a plodder, so... I, I could never get any faster. I probably got marginally slower, but no one ever noticed. But for you, you relied heavily on that athleticism, didn't you? Yeah, it was... It, I, I worked really hard on my rehab. And, I mean, Achilles rehab went like a dream, and I come back really quick from that. And then it was just at that time there where I start getting injuries, and it's like... And you know then, when you get your knee drained every six weeks, and then the pumping uh, Austin Hill injections in your knee so you can get through the week, you start to realise, yeah, it's just going to be tough, this. And then, towards the back end, then there was 
two, two one re- two really big concussions. Uh, and again, that was that. Oh God, date. And then you realise then, because oddly enough, I started because just because the way that I played and used to the way I used to carry the ball, I used to get that kind of whiplash type. And I started getting a little bit concerned because I was always getting, you know, how you is you get those little dings all the time. And then sure enough, uh, I had one at, uh, on Easter Good Friday at Wigan, bounced my head off the floor. Uh, that took me ages to recover from. And then I had a really bad one at Huddersfield. Uh, and then that's, that's tough because you know then that you're not only going to be disabled, then you're really jeopardising not only yourself, but I had kids at the time as well. I'm thinking it's probably best that I'm going to start winding down here now, which is difficult because you're at 31 or 30. I'm thinking, God, I've still got, you know, I've got kids and a mortgage. To pay. I, I remember that around this period, and we'd obviously speak quite a lot, and I remember... It might have been after the Wigan or the Huddersfield head knock. You like it took you a long while to come back to being the real you. You were like you didn't speak as much. You you were like you were a slightly different person. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So about about six months. I didn't come back in the club for probably three. Yeah, um, and I probably wasn't as just. I just wasn't me. Just didn't want. I didn't want to come back in the club. Didn't want to. Didn't really want to see anybody. Didn't want to trying to you're trying to get this like this like really tough time get your head around it, and I I have massive empathy for anybody who's been through a long rehab or anybody who's struggling with concussions and stuff because it's not it's not nice and you just yeah yeah you're fighting that because you're not right because and you know that you're not right so every day that you're like you're feeling fatigued and. And you're just not quite yourself, and you know that you're a little bit snappier than what you you should be. Then that's you know that you're it's different. I did come out of it in the end, um, but it's this it was, it was really really tough times. They were there. That was probably the toughest time uh, back under thirteen. Yeah, that was. Was was that tough for people around you? Obviously, yeah, your your wife Kim, your family, um, for two reasons. One is obviously they don't want to see somebody they love being hurt, but if you know, an injury in sport affects your behaviour at home. That must have been a challenge for, for family as well. Oh, yeah. It's, Kim and Swiss, because we've always lived down here by ourselves until very recently where Kim's mum and dad have moved out. But we're just, so she's only ever having to put up with me. She's the person who is putting up with me. You know, and again, as we all know, we're going through this year. You, you, like rugby and sports, you're very much playing in your own head most of the time. So although you are in this family environment, you still haven't... Uh, put yourself in a position where you're going to have to get yourself up to play on a weekend. So that's tough. So I'm very grateful for she stuck by us through that time. And then about like, again, I've got a good mate who stuck by you, who always checking in on you, making sure that you're all right. And I think that a lot of lads just giving me a distance and accepted that you probably need a little bit of distance as well. until you feel like well enough to come back in and, and start going through the process again at that time. Um, <clears throat> Looking back, should I have probably come back? Yeah, and no. Cause I had that year at Rovers, which I really enjoyed. And it was a good eye-opener for me moving forward. But I had like another two or three concussions there. And the last time I played, I got knocked out just off a really innocuous carry. Off, and Gaz Ellis hit me, pearl of a shot. Not that I've not had before. Ran back to my wig and I can't see out my right eye. And I'm like, that was it. So I walked off the field there at halftime and realised it was done then. So... Do you worry about that long term, Gad? Uh, I do, 
I do a little bit, but then um, I think I've just like I I understand that there's certain things, and I'll know when I'm taking the piss as regards not getting the right sleep, stressing myself too much, uh, having a poor diet. That's those are the things that then exacerbate that because my concentration levels will be poor. Do you know like little bits like that? But and then if I don't exercise, that's a massive one. If I don't exercise, I don't feel. Uh, like nothing works well, nothing works uh, as good as it should do. So I try and make sure I keep on top of that now. Um, and then, so I don't worry as much, but then it's kind of always in the back of your head that it's like, God, um, you know, it's something, you know, when you're in later on in years, you're going to end up struggling. So, but I wouldn't swap, I'll be honest with you, <clears throat> I wouldn't swap. I, I kind of knew that going in. And I played the game a certain way, and I'm happy I played the game a certain way. Um, so I won't swap it. It's just you know for you know that those the you know the consequences going in. That's just is what it is. Yeah. Let's so you you're going through this really tough period, guards. You, you know you've had a number of like lower limb injuries. You you relied you know a lot on speed. It was probably what you were known for that speed, and that's starting to go. You know contracts are then in the balance. You're unsure. How much does that refocus you on what the fuck you're going to do after you finish? You know, and, and uh, did you did you plan? Did you plan enough? Do you wish you'd done anything differently? You know, all of those things. Yeah, I took took the piss for probably until I was about twenty seven. Just I watching the Simpsons. Never gonna... Oh, I transitioned from then on on to yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still watch the Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Seinfeld, 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 curb your enthusiasm. Curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, it's the flat. So, I'd, uh, but it was like it just you're thinking, oh, this is going to be sweet. And then I, I wanted to do something. I was really keen to do something after rugby. I didn't know what. And I think this is a big thing of rugby league players. They, we we never settle on anything. We're always bouncing around from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I, I remember vividly sitting down and thinking, right, I've always wanted to. I've always loved S and C. I've always wanted to, I've always been interested in training. Um, right, that's what I'm doing. And I just nailed my clothes to the master said, right, that's what I'm doing. And as soon as I did that, then it was just like being a kid again. Because it's like, I've got to focus now. It's because, right, at some stage in my life, I want to be ahead of S&C somewhere. So that's about, <clears throat> when I was about 27, 28. You, well, John, you were invertedly involved in that because when you, you started League 13, you got lads involved in trying to get them degrees and jobs and interviews and stuff like that. So it was through League 13 that I got down to Loughborough Uni, Loughborough College, who were doing a, a distance learning thing then. And then, um, so as soon as I did that, signed up, I had to get student loan and stuff, but that was all good. And then let had out that then, and then just that became my main focus. Did you enjoy getting back to learning, guards? Because I, I know one thing that intimidates a lot of sports people and particularly rugby league players who, who are not necessarily academic anyway is I think ex-sports people got a fear of walking in somewhere and people thinking they're a fraud or not feeling comfortable there but how did you get back into learning having had you know because you, you packed in your, your college halfway through so yeah. you may be you know you know 20 odd years or 10 12 years be, be, since you've been in a classroom how intimidating was that? Um, I loved it uh, it it wasn't at all. I, I I really despite, despite but I actually really like learning and I've always watched stuff and I've always tried and studied stuff. Um so just having to figure that out was was class. I really enjoyed it. Uh but it was a subject I was passionate about anyway. 
So I was sort of like trying to find the answer to everything. But again, you're right because the worst thing in the rugby league team is to be trying to you don't you you don't want to put your head above the parapet in case you make yourself look like a fool and everyone laughs. That's what it is, isn't it? Hence the bad haircut. You don't even want to go in. You just want to get a nice steady middle of the road haircut. It's like being in year ten, year eleven at school. You don't want to be. You just don't want to be the kid who sticks out. That is. So, but I loved it. A proper like, and it it was tough because start just in and around that time when concussions were starting as well. So, uh, I missed a couple of deadlines during that time, and um, but then got back on the horse and I got ended up with a two one. And then uh, I went straight and did my master's degree straight after that as well because I wanted to just continue. I didn't want to have a break. I wanted to continue and make sure that I went straight through and did that then. You're always very inquisitive during your career in terms of S&C as well, weren't you, guys? I remember you'd do your own warm-ups. You'd always have the hurdles and the ladders out on the field. You'd always be... Oh, that remember... fucking American football warm-up he used to do. Yeah, and I was like a lamb. And, like... <laughs> and everyone else in the team used to wear rugby boots and then guards, he'd have American football cleats. Football boots. <laughs> but they used to cost me a fortune as well. Yeah, I, I, know. Know. <laughs> I, used to, I used to sometimes yeah. hide them as well, you know. Yeah, you did, yeah. yeah. I knew it was you. It was either you or... <laughs> no, I, I did. I just... I kind of reasoned that in my head. I was like, well, everybody's wearing football boots. So why, why are you wearing football boots to play rugby in? So it was kind of like, oh, well, well the closest or similar thing that anybody would do would be American football. I used to love NFL anyway. Um, yeah, you do. So, yeah, it took, a fair, it took a fair whack of stick for that. For some reason, I'm not... Because I get pulled off other people at other clubs as well who I've never really spoke to. You used to wear American football boots, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so where did that come from? Where did you pick that one from? Um, yeah, so I, you just like little stuff like that, but um, yeah, I just I was always just been really passionate about doing it, and then um, I got my first gig then that was working at Sedgley Park Rugby Union. So I used to go there on a Tuesday, Thursday night, and then used to go to games on a Saturday, and then um, but yeah, yeah, I just and then just sort of learned on the trade. Like at the time there, so I just used to nick Matty Daniels' programs from Saints, anything that we'd be doing. So I used to roll up in the stage, just copy whatever Matty did. And then uh, slowly but surely, as you're going through, you start to, all oh, right, okay, open up, and then you kind of put your own sort of spin on everything then. So you've just put the Warrington logo on Matty Daniels' training programme? Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Well, Sensei <laughs> Park, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so you, YouTube's hey, good as well. Right, it's it? not a bad programme, though, is it? Like, <laughs> still doing all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Flash, it's important, actually, for people who are going to transition out of something to set a goal. So Gardzi said at 27, he went, right, I want to be head S&C at a club. Like, it's yeah. important to put that out there, isn't it? To set a goal like that, you know, rather than... Aim, I think that's why we bounce around, why people bounce around, isn't it? Because they haven't got a fixed end point to what they're doing. Yeah, and they don't always have a passion. And prob- probably Gads has always had that passion of S&C and always probably... He probably puts his energies into his players now that he put into himself, trying to be the best they can be and, and let, leave no stone unturned. But um, I think rugby players need, need to find that passion. And it's not always down the route that, that everybody else goes down. I think looking to other things, whether it's NFL or different different spheres, different sports, different passions, different um, hobbies, uh, they can find it. But I think it's important that lads try different things before they can work out what they want. Because all being sheep and wanting to do the same thing is, isn't going to work for everybody, is it? No, and I think as well, one, one thing, people aren't patient with passion, Um 
I know it sounds weird because I, I think people think that passion, you're just immediately passionate about something. I, I, I think you can be. I think if you're very lucky, you find something and go, right, I'm, I'm passionate about that. But I think passion can come through effort. It can come through longevity of committing to something. And, you know, I, I think there's a lesson in that. I don't think people are immediately going to find something they're passionate about, but you will find passion in anything you do if you commit to it. And, I think that's one thing I'd urge for, for people is is to not just wait for something to light the fires, you know. It's got to be about more than that. Where is sports science going then? Because you've seen it all. So like you said, from getting on a bus in the championship with guys who had little or no understanding of it. And Flash, you can come in here for sure because you've you played in Australia. There's, you know, advanced maybe sports science methods over there, but where, where's it going now? And what sort of metrics are you guys like looking at that people wouldn't know about? Um, so for us, we, we've, we've sort of stumbled on a system that works for us or I hope it works for us. We'll just try and mix like what modern technology might give us, you know, for readings wise, GPS, um, BBT training in the gym and stuff. But we'll just try and just, it's about working hard first and foremost. And I, it does, like, my biggest thing, there's, like, loads of people who bounce around trying to get uh, these these programs online and, you know, I don't lose weight and I'm not getting any bigger. It's like, well, have you actually had a, just had a massive dig at doing your program? Have you left everything in? Every time you come in, have you just actually tried, trained hard every single day for, for a week? And then, then, then you can make an assumption that the program's not working. So everything we just try and do is just guided around that. Because if you don't have that philosophy of just training hard consistently, then you're never going to get any better anywhere. So that, that sort of overrides everything. But from the sports science side, the, the GPS is always telling us how hard someone's going. And we've got a massive catalogue of how, how hard you are, how hard you're training, how hard you did train in this drill, why you're off. Uh, and trying to piece together the the perfect time and again because all clubs are different so like our warranty players are different sets are different from Wigan so it's like how long and how hard you can maintain an intensity for and I think that's the big thing that we're that we've steered our program towards because again as as we all know from when you're playing in those games they are the most intense games so if you don't practice being at that max intensity all the time then you're not going to be able to compete and execute when you need to at the at the um when it when it matters and i think that's the big thing is trying to mesh not just being a great athlete but you've got to be a good rugby player as well first and foremost if you're really good at rugby but you're not necessarily fit as well i'd rather have that guy who's a really good rugby player so it's trying to marry the two together that gives you that gives a little bit more context of why you can do your job on the field better it's interesting that that's how how you sort of see it guards you know <laughs> If I look at maybe your career, you you were maybe more of the athletic side to the to the to the rugby side. Is how you were influenced? Maybe how you feel about the guys that you're working with? Yeah, uh, uh, it does. But then I have a massive appreciation for people like you, well, you two in particular, um, Scullies, your longest legs. Yeah, I, I, my my game was completely based on athleticism. So my my the way I look back at my career was. My job was almost a little bit of cannon fodder. My job is you've got to run the ball as hard as you can and get a quick play of the ball. That's it. That is all. That was all my game was predicated about. Do that twenty times a game. If you can do that, you give time 
for Kieran to get the ball off the deck, who gives you time to hit one of your lines that you used to hit, who give you flash a bit more time when you're digging into the line and you're playing the ball out the back. That's where it comes, but you, you need that. Like I was trying to, like every time we do a squat, that's why it's got to be, you've got to be able to max it because I need you to excel as hard as you can because you've got to get a quick rock. That's what that that's the reason why. That's why I was trying to put something in there and then give an example of why we are doing this and why this is so important. I think the roles of players on the field have changed as well, aren't they? I think you look back 15, 20 years ago, your, your middles, your, your front rowers were always big, burly blokes. But now you, pro, you could beat a prop forward at 95 kilos, but strong and really fit. It's Well, then yeah. your wingers these days can be built like a brick shit house, And maybe not yeah. be as quick as they once were, but their role is maybe to take more carries, especially early in the set, get a team on the front foot. So I think the the um, the roles of different positions, the roles of different players has changed massively over these last five or ten years. And it's about, I think the big thing is balancing um, the workload across the, the 13. I think each, each player needs to dig in and do their bit in terms of effort um, to make it easier for, for the rest of the team as a collective. Yeah, hundred percent, and it's got it's got to be it's that that sharing of that, and everyone's it's everybody's responsibility um, to be able to share that workload, and it's there's a massive ownership that has to go on now. Everybody to be in physical condition to be able to do that that is a big thing. You you can't be that one guy who's just took your foot off the gas a little bit now because you will get found out. That is the and again these are things that I've learned from Michael. If you take your foot off the pedal a little bit, you'll get shown up. But it'll be somebody on, likely on somebody you're playing against, but some of these young kids, because there are always there's a development of young kids always coming through that will end up taking your spot if you do take your foot off the pedal. Um, so it's it's now it's, it's becoming like more and more like the the way the obviously the rule changes over the last eighteen months, the game's got quicker again. It's and that skill component under fatigue that's absolutely huge. You've got to be able to execute, and like the game is all very simple it's 2v1s, 3v2s. Um, don't miss any tackles, but then we've just put that in fast forward a little bit more now. We just bumped it up again. You've got to do it quicker. Um, we've got yeah. less interchanges now, so you you know, it's a very simple game, but it's like, like I say, we're playing it in fast forward now. Do, do you? develop athletes um, the, to play a game or does the game dictate how you develop the athletes, Gardy? Are you ahead of the game or does the game dictate to you what you need to condition your athletes like? Um, probably a bit of the latter. So the game is, the, the game dictates for how we have to change and we've got to be interchangeable with that as well. If it was back to, if it was back from when we were playing, it was 12 interchanges and it was like a yard slower then you probably have everybody a lot bigger to fit the roles of that, of how that would look. But the way it is now, I'm, I'm a bit on the side of, I'd rather people be lighter and leaner and faster to be able to cope with the demands uh, of the, particularly in the middle as well. You're always going to get those people who are massive, can carry 112, 115 kilos and play the minutes. But they're, they, you know, they are few and far between. Like rocking off um, shit, aren't they? They are now. They are now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was with. Uh, was lucky enough to be in that England setup, and uh, Mikhail Aledsky's in there. Jesus, but you see, like somebody who's as big as a big man, 
I bought leg speed, quick, good engine as well. Yeah. But again, there's not too many of him who are knocking about anymore. And, um, and the thing is, you said though, is leg speed and quick. And that's the same with Alex Worms. He can get away with being that yeah. big if you've got really good leg speed. Um, now, yeah. you've got, you have players like Luke Yates, who I played with at Salford, and he's playing a lot of front row at Huddersfield. And he's must be he's less than ninety five kilos, but he's he's strong, he's really quick, and he's fit. And that's I think that's the modern the modern middle forward will be that that yeah. kind of body shape and just gets through a ton of work. Is the game, in your opinion, Eddie, more, more entertaining now with like the homogenous athlete that we see? You know, or, or was it more entertaining? You know, when we had those uh, bigger players. Oh, you know the, the the bigger, more powerful guys. Um, I'm biased, but like I'd, I'd say, it was a bit more entertaining. A couple of you know, but similar to earlier times. So I saw that early two thousands, mid two thousand. That time I see the game was was more entertaining then. Um, yeah, what about you, Flash? I'll be biased and say the last ten years. Uh, I think no, I think they're different. I think. Um, I think as we probably understand how the dynamics of a game flows, we you can appreciate it for different reasons. So I, I, I can't really comment. I just can see them as very different sports really these days. How about you, John? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that if I watch the NRL and I watch the speed and how explosive they are and, and some of the tries that have been scored in the NRL, I think it's undeniably more entertaining and I, I didn't ask the question because I maybe had skin in the game and I believed that bigger athletes made it more entertaining I just find it interesting that the shape of people is 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 shrinking we're, you know we're, there's less remarkably sized athletes um, you know in our game now and and it's just the trend isn't it the game keeps speeding up it keeps getting quicker and as a result Ada you have to develop programs to to adapt to that yeah, and, and like I think the bigger thing for us is is obviously you need to be able to compete, but then there's that injury aspect as well. If we don't expose the lads to the speeds and of the game of how it's going to be and who you're going to be playing against, you're going to find yourself with injuries. You have a massive injury board as well. So that's the other big thing of why you have to almost adapt with the game because if you don't, then you're always going to find your your injury list going to be massive. How tough has that been this last probably? Um... 15, 16 months with COVID, having to keep lads fit when they've been away. And then when you've had um, a fixture backlog and you're playing uh, three or four games in 15, 16 days, as a conditioner, how tough has that been? Yeah, tough. Tough. Um, we, so, uh, we again, we're very lucky at one two we've got a very diligent playing crew. Um, so, one as we come back from COVID, sent out a lot of programmes for them to do and, and to a man, uh, maybe aside from maybe one or two, we're pretty much all on name, target. Name, name, names. Names. Well, names. the, the caveat was the one or two, two and not name. Who, who, who didn't do it? Let's go through the let's go through the squad. And when AD flinches, we'll know it was them. Matty Ashton, <laughs> Josh Charnley, Tom, Tom Lynham. I'm not going to flinch. I'm Tom Lynham. <laughs> Why did you repeat Tom Lynham's there twice? No, 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 they, no, no my my, my screen jumped. They were, they, were, they were really good when they come back um, and they'd done everything that I'd asked for them to do. It's the ones where you got the, the big fixture backlogs. Uh, they're the bad ones because, again, you can't train. 
And you know, you know, we've been there when you've had to play Easter weekend and you've got that. So we, we're going to play Wakefield on Sunday and then we've got four-day turnaround to Catalan, which is like a massive game. Uh, and then we play a three-day turnaround from Huddersfield, which is an away game. They're running good at the minute to play Saints at home in a massive game as well. So they, they do, they, it's that management of fatigue and what recovery measures can you do? Well, realistically, the only proper recovery measure you can do is rest, don't do anything, let your body accommodate, but you haven't got that luxury because you're going to have to play two days after. So it's a bit of a minefield um, and nobody's got the right or wrong answer. You can have your Normatex out, ice baths, all this stuff. However, you're still not going to be 100% going into the next game. You just kind of keep your fingers crossed that the conditioning work and the strength work that you've done previously sticks and you, you the lads manage to keep up with the, the speed and the intensity and the bodies don't break down. I think Warrens are quite lucky as well because you've got quite um, a large squad with quite a bit of depth and some young kid, good kids coming through. So it's quite a good opportunity for those lads to get to get an opportunity, uh, get a chance in the first team, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and they're crying out for uh, for uh, an opportunity to play first team as well. Again, it's difficult when you've got the, the standard and the quality of the players that we've got at Warrington for them to just to come in and get a chance. They, they, they're going to have to be patient. But what I like to think that we do well is train them boys hard and keep them fresh and keep them ready to go. So when they do come in, invariably, they usually come in and perform really well for us. People like Ellis Longstaff, Connor Wrench, Josh Bewless, uh, but lads of that ilk, they've always they've come into the first team and, and, and performed really well. Eddie, I was just wondering, this this is an interesting thing for me, is the, um, the, the pull on coaches and uh, sports scientists and uh, sort of experts from rugby league um, in, into rugby union, uh, to Australia. Um, do you think there's a, a talent drain in, in, in rugby league or, you know, or not? Uh, as, as coaches or staff or players or Co- coaching coaching staff. The reason the reason I ask is um, somebody you're familiar with, Mark, is is Martin Gleeson. You know, spent twenty years, maybe twenty five years in rugby league. Uh, you know, I, I scribbled down maybe one and a half million to two million quid's worth of investment in that guy, and then retrains himself as a coach and is now coaching in the England setup in rugby union, and that for me is it takes 10, 15 years to replace somebody like that. So what do you think about that flash? Um, in the case of uh, Martin Gleeson, from when I first, well, I played with him at Wigan 12 years ago. Uh, and even though he was an instinctive rugby player, he was always very knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about the game and he understood how how, how teams brought, brought the defence down and all that kind of stuff. And then when I went to work with him at Salford, um, he was without doubt the smartest coach I've worked with. And I've been lucky enough to, to work with Tim Sheens and Nathan Brown and um, Ian Watson, a few others. But he was so um, intelligent in, in how we saw the detail of the game. And as I worked with him, I could see how much time and effort he put into his craft, really. Uh, and then I, I was confident that when he went to Rugby Union, he's done about 18 months at Wasps, I was confident that he would reach the top and, uh, he's an ambitious guy, and you know I, I think uh, it's a it's a real loss to our sport. But it was I think it was always going to happen as soon as he went over to the other court. Uh, in reference to your point about 
the the, the drain of, of of talent, whether it's players or coaches. Unfortunately, I think that's just the position we're in as as rugby league in rugby league in this country. I don't think I think the NRL and, and rugby union have um, have kind of grown a lot more than than our sport in the last in the last period of time. And unfortunately, it's a it's a bigger stage and a little bit more money over there. Yeah, I think one thing that frustrates me is, let's say, for example, you know, coach like you, Eddie, you're, you're like incredibly rare. So you've played the game at the top level. You've re-educated yourself. You've become very good at what you do professionally, but with the, the benefit of 15 years of professional knowledge of playing the sport as well. So for me, it's a concern that we could lose somebody like yourself to to Australia, to rugby union, and not acknowledge the actual loss, which is 15, 20 years of development, maybe a couple of million quids. You know, what I'm talking about is from your junior days to the end of your career, the game's invested in you. Now, in any of your walk of life, if we'd invested maybe, you know, that amount of money in one thing, you wouldn't let it slip away so easily. But there is a big trend of, of coaches, you know, and and sports scientists and, and you know all of that talent behind the scenes being attracted by the codes and other you know competitions in there yeah it's, it's the uh, it's that I think all rugby lads and more sports people we're all ambitious aren't we and like I do this because I'm ambitious because I want to do really well and I'm very lucky that I've been able to achieve my goal particularly at a big club like Warrington and sports, like, it's hard to then, in your own head, think to yourself, well, I want to be ambitious and do something else. And if an opportunity comes along that is perceived as a, a step up, it's kind of in your DNA to want to do it, isn't it? It's probably your perception of where you, where the heights of your game are, like, you know, in rugby union or in the NRL, you know, it's, it's probably your perception at least because is that your pinnacle? You know, somebody that might be working, you know, like uh, a Wigan or a Saints or something like that, but... but it's, it's it, invariably as well what we're dealing with here is is that those sports are allowed financially to pay you a lot more money than the rugby league clubs can which is you know it's just the situation that we find ourselves in and historically has been the case particularly rugby union so you you know what 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 sort of budget difference let's talk about that Gadzi, from from your perspective what do you reckon the budget difference would be between a Premiership Rugby Union club and a Rugby League club in terms of the S&C department? In the S&C department, I would not even like to speculate, but I can only assume it's really high. I know that um, our, good, our mate Ollie, who was the uh, sports scientist <laughs> when we were there, he's, he's, had a, he's, a, he's a physio now, so he's a, he's a chartered physio and he's at Harlequins and they have nine physiotherapists, nine. You know, and how many and do Warrington have? Uh, we've got two. And we have an academy physio. They have nine first team, apparently. Which is, again, and uh, I think more, it's not unknown for a lot of clubs to have a team of five or six physiotherapists there. SNC, I'm not sure if they, what the SNC is either, but uh, how many SNCs that they've got, what can on issue? Because there's me and Bubble, uh, and then we have uh, an academy SNC as well who comes and helps us out. So. It's, you know, resource-wise, you know, from, from budget, but from wages-wise, I'm sure they have a justification for it, but there's, there's a, obviously, it'd be at least double, at least double. John, if, if you had nine physios during your time at Saints, you'd have, be able to give someone to massage your ego. 
<laughs> they need what all, all 18 hands yeah to match just get, for an just, hour just get, yeah, yeah. just get somebody to every morning just, just uh, <laughs> schedule in seven to eight I was low maintenance Mark John very Tebow. low maintenance <laughs> oh. so what's the next what's next Eddie what's next you, you set a big whopper goal you want to be head of SNC for a, for a Super League club you know you, you know what? What? What's your next challenge? Like, because you've set challenges. Like, is a young guy from Barrow to challenge yourself to go and play in Super League, but then to be successful in your career, then to set another goal. Like for me, it feels like there's another goal out there that you need to set, or that, uh, that, that could be the next part of your life. See this, this, this. See this was the ultimate one. See this is the ultimate one, and things might change, but I always want to be strength coach or head strength coach at an NFL club that was always the dream in particular the New York Jets that was it so <laughs> I've been to watch the Jets, Jets. That that's, that's so good Jets. <laughs> Jets, Jets, Jets. yeah I'm a Jets fan <laughs> so that's it but like if you don't set it why are you never going to make it so like the thing that I'm probably going to go through now is like what do you need to do to be able to get to that point in your career so it's do you have to have more education? Do you have to have more experience to do X, Y, Z? Um, you know, those jobs don't come up all the time. So but it's if you don't if you don't have it there, then what if that's the ultimate goal, so so why not? Yeah. We went and watched the Jets on your stag do flash, didn't we? Yeah, I was the most hungover man in America. Fuck yeah. well, it was a really enjoyable three and a half hours that flash in New Jersey, wasn't <laughs> nah, it? Yeah. Absolutely hated it. It was we sat in the part of the stand where we had no roof, so it was just raining on us. And I was just sat there watching it. It was a terrible game and I just every couple of minutes just sick be sick on the side and then carry on watching it. Yeah. What were you wearing? Yeah. Did you dress you up in anything? Uh, I was dressed as um, Austin Powers the night previous. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, it was like Imagine a scene at an, uh, an American sports event where everyone's like over the top enthusiastic. You know, like they get enthusiastic about anything. Like they're like, wow, fucking yeah. Like they're trying to get on the big screen and then they just flash past eight sort of Englishmen just sat like this. Human. <laughs> Unresponsive. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nightmare. It was. Yeah, well. Guards, we kept you for too long. Um, mega interesting chatting. I know, obviously, we know each other really well, but I've always wanted to ask questions about, you know, your brother, you know, that start in your career, and then also to say, yeah, really, yeah, look, feel, just, just as I feel like I've done my brother a bit of a disservice there, honestly, because he obviously <laughs> didn't make it in rugby. But tell you what, he's got a beautiful family now. He's got a great steady job, and uh, you know, there's yeah. life after rugby. Sometimes it doesn't work out for everybody, does it? And yeah. and sometimes no. the game the game spits you out. But like, it just it just is what it is. And like, he's got a lifelong you know mess. I try try to get this food to him for a long time. So I think he struggled with life after rugby for a good long while. But like now he's got lads who are into sports, and he's got a good steady job, and he's married and everything. So it's just it just is what. You know, sports, sport, isn't it? Sometimes it's not, it's not the yeah, most, yeah. not the easiest life, and you know, you want to be involved in it because it's class. But I say it doesn't quite move on, work out for everybody. It's one of them where also it's not wrong not to want to pursue it either. You know, when as soon not as somebody wrong. gets into a career in sport, there's so much pressure to then follow it. Um, and for somebody like yourself, who, who it's worked out for, for there's, 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 you know, 50, 60, 100 other people who it's just not for them and, and that's not yeah. wrong either. But as I said, we took a lot of your time. Um, 
Thanks for coming on, Eddie Gardner, there with a Cheers, really interesting Gardner. story. Cheers, gents. Enjoyed that. Yes, uh, Adrian Antonio Gardner. Sorry. That was Adrian Antonio sure Gardner. <laughs> you can download this and all of the podcasts from iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you very much.